Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Let's hear the word of God as it's written in Romans 12, verses 9 through 15. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know that we're in what they call the instructional part of the book of Romans. And here we arrive at a place where we have a very manly, authoritative list of commands. Bam, 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 bam. Many of them lack any verb. And the first phrase doesn't even have a verb. And you might think, well, no, that's not possible. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. So the verb to be is there. But no, the verb to be is not there. There's no verb in this first phrase. We're going to spend this week just on this first phrase. And so the Apostle Paul is going through, and and he's looking at this church that he's writing a letter to, and he's saying, okay, what do they need to hear from me? And he's given them the doctrine, and so he said, well, okay, now listen, let love be without, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to what, and so it's just like a mother and a father going out for the evening, you know, they're going to go on a date, they're leaving their kids with a babysitter, and it's like, you know, no fighting, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. What is interesting is that if you read a modern commentary, specifically the one I always read, which is Doug Moos, Doug... He's a professor at Wheaton, and he goes through a number of these things, and then he says, now there's a debate about what the ordering principle of this list is. Well, you look at the list, you go, let love be without, oh, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, and brother, give preference. Well, what would the ordering principle be? It's like, oh yeah, do this, and this, and this, and and while, while I'm on it, this, 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 and this, right? And then he gets through all of the ways that various scholars have found to say, well, this list is is ordered according to the principles of eutoxamoron or some, some Greek word of, you know, having to do with less. And he gets at the end of discussing all the ways that maybe the Apostle Paul had organized this list, right? And he says... In the end, yes, we can say that this list does have particular application to the Christians in the church in Corinth. It's like, oh, really? 
That's a letter to the Christians in Rome. You think maybe we can safely say, you know, that this list is appropriate for the church in Rome. Do you think that a mother going out for the evening with her husband, when she turns around and gives a bunch of this, 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 and this, that that might have an appropriate application to the particular children that... Now, the reason I'm making fun of this is that really there's a lot to discuss in this list. You don't want to waste a whole lot of time deciding whether or not this list has application to the people receiving the letter. And listen, that's about the level that many conversations about Scripture never get above. You know, it's like you're a butcher and a carcass has come in, and you begin to carve it apart. You know, forgetting that this actually is going to be eaten. This, like all scripture, is profitable for us. Don't miss what God has for you this morning. So, moving on, this list had application to the Romans. It has application to us. And it starts with this, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, normally I don't want you to always think, what does the Bible really say when you're reading an English translation? But on the other hand, I think it's good for you always to realize you're not getting the original text, you're getting a translation. And we have arrived at a point in time where you need to be taught not to trust the translations. Because like all of language in the Western world, translations have been subjected to political correctness. And so you need to realize that there is value today to knowing the original languages. All right? Specifically here, what you read as being, let love be without hypocrisy. You remember I told you it doesn't have a verb. And so what does the Greek say? Well, you ready for this? The Greek says, hey, agape, and then I don't know how to pronounce that word, Josh, how would you pronounce it? Well, it's uh, no hypocrisy. Yeah. So let me just put it like this. The love, no hypocrisy. That's literally what the Greek text says. The love. So you know that the definite article is in front of agape, and so you know it's not a verb, right? We know that. So he's talking about the love, and he says, no hypocrisy. Well, this is how you talk to your children, right? Eat. With your mouth shut. (laughs) You know? Chew. With your mouth shut. You know? The chewing. With your mouth shut. Now, this same commentator, in explaining this particular phrase in God's word, says that the literal translation is what? Does anybody here want to take a guess? The translator says that the literal translation, or the commentator, is sincere love.
Now, I just got done telling you that the literal translation is the love, no hypocrisy. He says the real translation is sincere love. Now, we don't have to object to him flipping hypocrisy from the back to the front. That's a lot of translation, getting the word order intelligible for the receptor, right? But what has he done? If I tell you what he's done is extremely important and bad, what has he done? Again, the literal is the love, no hypocrisy. He says sincere love. And listen, what he's done is he's changed a negative into a positive. And I'm again it. Seriously, again it. Why would I make a big deal out of that? Well, I make a big deal out of it because some wise older pastor said to me earlier this morning something I had never thought about. He said, you know, I think that we are the kind of people that telling us to do what is right doesn't quite get our attention. And I thought, you know, I've never thought about that. He's right. We have to be told what not to do. Think about that. And so if we were to reduce the second table of the law to what we prefer to be spoken, you know, the tone of voice and the words we prefer, which are positive, you know, behavior modification has principally this to commend it. It's positive. All right. Well, then what would we do to the second table of the law? Now, try this one on, okay? Commandment number seven. Cling to your wife. How does that sit with us? Cling to your wife. Cling to your husband. It sits much better. Uh, hold on to what belongs to you. That would be the, the eighth commandment. Or the sixth commandment would be love life. Right? Listen, we're a bunch of spoiled babies, all of us. We have spent our lives being flattered, particularly by our mother's. Not me. And so we can't abide being told no. And being told no gets under our skin in a way that being told yes doesn't. And how does the Apostle Paul start this out? He doesn't say something positive and affirming like sincere love. He says the love, no hypocrisy. That means that our love tends to be hypocritical. Now, I don't know how you feel about having the Bible tell you that your love tends to be hypocritical and you should just stop it, but I find it a great relief. (laughs) Because the minute I'm told 
No hypocrisy in love. I begin to examine myself for my hypocrisy in love. I assume it's there because the Bible tells me don't. And the minute I start thinking about my hypocrisy in love, I see it everywhere. And that's a beautiful thing about the Bible versus Facebook. The Bible doesn't stroke your ego. The Bible is honest and truthful with you. And so it says love. The love. No hypocrisy. And you go, ah, okay, you got my number. All right, I just got adjusted. You know, you all go to a chiropractor to get adjusted. Isn't it okay for the Bible to adjust you? Love. The love. No hypocrisy. No hypocrisy. Now, uh, let's deal with the word love, agape, and then we'll get to hypocrisy. You have all heard, as I've heard my whole life, about how agape love is a special kind of love. And that it's a self-sacrificial love that points us to God and that it's a love that you can't have without the love of God in you. And agape is just superlative, right? And it reminds me of what they used to say about uh, the Greek that the Bible was written in. They used to call it ecclesiastical Greek. And they actually thought that it it was a Greek that was from God specifically for his word because they didn't find it in, you know, the highbrow writing of the time, you know. Then they discovered the street language, the vulgar tongue at the time of the New Testament. They found out that that actually is what God selected his word to be written in, the commoner's language. That's why we call it the vulgar tongue. And so actually the Greek of the New Testament is not ecclesiastical Greek, It's actually the vulgar tongue. God lowers himself to us. That's exactly what is true of agape. Agape is not some specially misty, uh, ozone, ethereal, cloudy, vaporous thing that God specifically invented so that his love could have a word in the Greek. No, the word agape is just one of the words for love And the reason the word agape is used so often is it can't be misunderstood if you receive my meaning the way some of the other words for love can be. And so don't go off on agape love. Okay, we know you know a word in Greek. Just say love. We all get it. All right? Love, love, love. Right? Now, let's go to the word hypocrisy. The word that is used here in Greek is actually the word hypocrisy. But I want to tell you where it comes from. Does anybody other than Josh know where the word hypocrisy comes from? It comes from Greek, but what was the origin of this word? Yes, that's right. Theater, somebody up there said acting. And that's where the word comes from. So the word hypocrite refers to somebody who is up on stage and doesn't mean a thing they say. Now, I want you to meditate on this for a second. Hypocrisy is acting. All right? 
right? When you act, according to the Greeks, you're a hypocrite. You don't really mean what you're saying. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? I'm making a big deal out of this because I don't believe that many of us even have the ability of being authentic. Did you hear what I said? I really insulted it. I said that many of us have lost the ability to be authentic. Now, why would I say that? Do you remember me describing this woman that Mary Lee and I knew when we were first married? And I would watch her, and I would realize, we knew her very well, I would realize that absolutely everything she did and said, she was looking at herself from like a movie camera behind her. I saw her facial expressions. Everything she did and said was carefully presented in such a way that she would look good on camera. Now, let me ask you, is this true of you? Are you constantly looking at yourself to see how you're playing in Peoria or in Trinity Reformed Church? In other words, when you walk around, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about what people will think about you? If you're thinking about what people will think about you and you're, you're being you in such a way that the people that think about you will think about you rightly, what you really are is a hypocrite. There is no you there. There is no genuine person who spends their life living in such a way that she presents well or he presents well to other people. What that does is that presses you into the mold. That's precisely what the Apostle Paul says at the beginning of this chapter. Don't allow the world to press you into its mold. So when you are a hypocrite, you are living for your image. And nothing about you is sincere. Do you remember my favorite quote from Richard Baxter? I quoted it hundreds of times to you. Richard Baxter says that the people, the sheep, the congregation takes the pulpit to be a what? A stage upon which a man may do or say what he likes as long as he comes out of the pulpit and acts like an ordinary dude with them up personally. And he says, if you ever say to them in person after you get out of the stage what you were saying on the stage, they will kill you. They want you to come out of the stage and just joke with them and act as if you didn't mean what you said in the stage. Because after all, it's just a stage. Okay? Do you know that in Kierkegaard's volume called Attack Upon Christendom, again, I've quoted it to you hundreds of times, different parts of it. Kierkegaard has a whole trope throughout that book where again and again and again and again, he has these little vignettes that he tells, and he says, all of them have this in common. He says, you know, the difference between the theater, movies, and the church is that the theater tells you the truth about itself. It says, this is a movie. 
But he says, never in a million years will you get a pastor to admit it's a movie. And he doesn't mean it. He says, the difference between the theater and the church is the theater admits it's all a show. Now, I know that this is scary to many of you. I can see your faces and you're thinking, oh no, where is he headed with this? All I'm trying to do is to get you to realize that in religion, as in every other area of life, hypocrisy is everywhere. And furthermore, because we spend our lives watching fakeness, and because we even put up with actors and, sorry, actresses, telling us how to vote. We are owned by people who make their living off being good hypocrites. Think about this. Sometimes I get into this area of thinking where I think about standing before God and what profession would I want when I stand before God and give an accounting? And it doesn't go easy with pastors, trust me. But do you know who I would, I would not have a problem being an executioner. But that would be difficult, right? But every time I think of it, I can't get my mind around how I would stand before God if I was an actress or an actor. How do you do that? You know? Who are you? Well, (laughs) well, I'm... I'm the dude, and what about Bob? I'm the funny one, or (laughs) I'm the psychiatrist. The thing that's always made that movie especially funny to me is I don't think there's an ounce of difference between the psychiatrist and Richard Dreyfuss. I think he was being himself. I may be wrong, you know. One of the reasons I like Jack Nicholson is I think he's always himself. (laughs) You know? You might have some actors or actresses you think are actually themselves. But normally actors and actresses are not themselves. And how do you give an accounting for your life? You say, well, I spent my life not being myself. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear me? I spent my life not being myself. And they are the ones that we most talk about and most emulate and most repeat. And and I mean, our lives revolve around hypocrites. They have the highest street cred in our culture. The better hypocrite you are, the richer you are, the more of an idol of the culture you are. Come on, people. And so I ask you, if we spend our lives consuming hypocrites, and you know, Bob, you can feel superior because it's hypocrite singing that you look up to. You probably didn't hear me, but you you tell them when you get home what I just said. You know, Bob's an opera maniac, all right? Do you think that we might be 
come to resemble our idols. Come on, people, think about this. If a culture spends every waking minute watching movies, do you think that that culture comes to resemble the idols in their movies? Come on. Now, here's another question for you. Do you think such people are authentic? Do you think movies create in us an ability to stand against the mob? Come on. Do you think watching hypocrites, people that make a living off of not being who they are and not saying what they think, do you think that culture might be permeated with everybody saying what they don't think and nobody saying what they do think? Come on. Come on. Do you think that such a culture would have a certain group of people called Christians who all of a sudden on Sunday morning would regain the gift of authenticity that they had left behind the rest of the week as they watched their movies? Do do you follow what I'm saying? Do you struggle as I do to be authentic on Sunday morning? Do you struggle to love people without hypocrisy? Every one of us does. It is hard to love people. It's easy to love God. (laughs) Now, are you laughing at me there? Well, there's a sense in which it's easy to love God. And And the question is, why would I say that? Well, because that's what the apostle of love says. He says that The man that says that he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. And so once again, if scripture says to us that if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar, all right, that must mean that there are lots of us here that say that we love God and and we hate our brother. And we're just liars because you can't love God whom you haven't seen and hate your brother who you have seen. You say, oh, no, no, it's because I've seen my brother that I hate him, you know. Come on, people, laugh. You're not going to begin to repent until you begin to like acknowledge who you are, you know, who I am. If you can't get out of yourself, just look at me and laugh at me, okay? I have to preach this stuff. I mean, how would you like to have to preach this? Have you ever thought about that? Listen, this pulpit is not a stage. And I am not an actor. And I, I am a hypocrite. But do as I say and not as I do. And you go, oh my goodness. Did you hear him? He just said he was a hypocrite and that we're to do what he says and not what he does. Well, listen, that was a, rep- that was a phrase that I would regularly say to my children when I disciplined them. 
people, we lie. We lie. We tell people in this church that we love them that we can't stand. And I'll stay away from marriages and family life for a second, okay? I'll give you relief. Do you really think you're fooling anybody in your small group? (laughs) You know that dude. Every single small group. Every single one. He says the same thing. Just shoot me. Am I going to have to sit and act interested while he says the same thing for the hundredth time today? Shoot me. And it isn't even interesting. And so what do you do? You sit there and you look at him and you act interested and you tell him you love him and, and oh my goodness, you're so relieved when he leaves or you get to. As soon as he starts speaking, you think you have it bad. Watch his wife because his wife gets up and goes into the kitchen. If you think you're tired of listening to him, do you imagine how tired his wife is? (laughs) Come on, guys. We're actually not interesting. And we're actually not scintillating. And we're actually self-absorbed. And could not give a rip what's going on with anybody else in the room as long as we get to suck out of them the attention that we need. And that is hypocritical love. And that is never going to cover over a multitude of sins. But the Bible says that the way we get along as Christians is that we love each other. Because, why? Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, why would love have to cover a multitude of sins in the church? Well, because there are a multitude of sins in the church, and the only antidote is love. <laughs> you know? How are you going to put up with me? Honestly, how are you going to do it? You cannot tolerate me. I'm intolerable. And so guess what? You have to love me. Poor you. You say, oh no, I find you so adorable. Well, you ask Eleanor and Don whether they find me adorable. They keep trying to tell Mary Lee, but she won't listen to them. She still loves me. You don't think in terms of whether or not you love the pastor. You just feel it's your duty, right? And when it ends up getting to the end of your duty, you can't take it anymore, you fire me. Or you go to another church. Or you show up just for the music and leave before the sermon starts. Do you know how many big churches that's true of? 
tons and tons of big churches, the people come for the good stuff and don't stick around for the bad stuff. And often they don't even go to worship, they just go to Sunday school. The Apostle Paul is dealing with the church in Rome. They're like us. And so he says, the love, no hypocrisy. And so that means that all of us have to weigh whether or not we are ever real. And you say, oh, oh, great. Now I can just like spill my guts and be real, authentic. And so you begin to say, potty words, and you begin to tell people about the scar on your abdomen and how your mother didn't love you and, you know, no, 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 that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you loving others and doing it without hypocrisy. It's not talking about you sucking out of others their love so that you can prop yourself up, okay? Our whole culture is great at that. We're great at demanding other people love us and manipulating them. You know what I'm saying? We used to have a man in this church who every conversation he had, he was carefully, carefully projecting onto the person his needs in such a way that the person would say to him what he wanted. And he was also a man that constantly talked about how he, no one ever loved him. And I'm always a sucker for that. You know, somebody, especially a man, tells me they don't, they, you know, they don't, nobody loves them. And I, I just try to do my dead level best, you know. And after a couple of years, I looked at this man one day right there in the foyer. And I said, you know, I said, I just realized something about you. It's impossible for anybody to ever love you. And he said, well, why? Why would you say that? And I said, because every single thing anybody ever says to you, you've carefully scripted the conversation in such a way as to suck that very statement out of them. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is true of our children. You know, our children play us like a piano. They know exactly how to get out of us the precise thing they want us to say to them. But if you go through life designing how people respond to you and what they say to you, again, there's no sincerity. You're just a manipulator. And so you can never feel like anybody was truthful to you when they say to you that they love you. And that's a horrible place to be. You know... Nobody loves me. Well, no, nobody loves you. You demand to be loved. And so they're resisting. Well, how do I get people to love me? Oh, my goodness. How many conversations Mary Lee and I have had with pitiable pitiable adults saying what? It's real, real deep and wise and creative and perceptive what we say. You ready? You might want to write it down. To have a friend, you have to be a friend. To be loved, you have to love. Now, at this point, if I were you listening, I would think, well, I really am even more hopeless than I thought I was. That's what I would think. 
And the answer is, it's true, you are. But how is it that we love? We love because he first loved us. If you want to know whether you're lovable, you look at the cross and don't you talk about Jesus' love on the cross. You talk about the Father's love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. You think about Abraham and Isaac. You think about Abraham and Isaac. Here in his love, what? Here in his love. Come on, people, you got to know the Bible. Herein is love. Another negative. Isn't that interesting? Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You can't love until God loves you. And so all the world's talk about mercy is hypocritical. The world is incapable of mercy. And you say, oh, no, no, no. There's common grace. And I say, okay, but you know what I'm talking about. You think of how often when the world talks about diversity, it's talking actually about monoculture. And that monoculture is mono because it eviscerates all distinctions that God has ever created and called good. The world is constantly giving you things that it names, and the name is a lie, and they're not giving you the thing anyhow. And that's the way Satan works. Satan's always promising us things he never gives us. That's the nature of him. He's a liar. And so you look at the orgy of our Western culture over diversity and pluralism, and can movies possibly get more boring? Mary Lee and I watched this thing on Acorn this last Sunday night, or Wednesday, whenever it was. And it was like, are you serious? Did you know that character development is dead. The whole point of the movie was the accoutrements of the lives of the actors and actresses. You know, what, their, what the decorations on, what kind of furniture they had, what car they drove, where they lived. And the funny thing is you realize that because they couldn't possibly have had as much money as that beautiful place that they kept panning across they lived in was. But there was no beauty whatsoever in the characters. And there was no horror. There was just monotony. The world says it gives us diversity and pluralism. The world says that it is the great protector of diversity. The world turns the world into a monoculture.
And in your small group, the struggle is to love without hypocrisy. And listen, one of the best ways for you to do that is for you to discover the beauty of God's creation. And if I were to tell you to look at all the roses at some of your homes right now, which ones have died way back because of blight? Which ones still have good leaves? Which ones are still putting out? Which ones have tons of roses but no fresh buds? Which ones are bush? Which ones are tall? Which ones look round? Which ones look like they're a woman about to go to a debutante ball? That's the hybrid tea. Now, think about this. This is just roses. What if we were to talk about men and women? If you will take the time to love the people in your small group, you won't believe how beautiful they are. You know, I keep calling Matt Shiftless. It's not his last name. Why do I call him Shiftless? Well, first of all, I'm getting bad at names, and that helps me to remember what his name isn't. And at least he knows I'm talking to him, (laughs) you know. But how many of you have gotten to know Matt in the last couple of months when he's been coming to church? I mean, the guy's gorgeous. You say, no, he's not. He's a boy. I say, okay. But I don't want to say handsome. I mean, he's that, but that's such a boring thing to say. He's just excellent. You say, well, he's so excellent. How come he isn't married? And I say, you know, I wonder about that myself. There may be something about you that I just don't know. You know? You ask him where he's been. Ask him what he's done for work. Ask him who his mama is. Ask him who his papa is. Ask him what he loves. Ask him what he hopes to be. Ask him whether he wants to have children. Ask him whether he wanted to have children before he came to this church. Ask Carol what she felt about children before she came to this church. Do any of you know? Before Carol came to this church, she did not like children. She's sitting right here. And I remember her saying to me, I love the children of this church. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, well, of course you do. You know, say something interesting. Then she said, I didn't like children until I came to this church. Well, that was interesting. (laughs) You know, you don't often have people tell you that they didn't like children. Listen, you go to your small group and you find out the beauty that God has placed in your small group. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. If you don't think it's beautiful, then you focus on the person who is obnoxious and begin to ask them questions. Don't let them pull your questions out of you because they'll try to control the conversation. That's one of the things that's obnoxious about obnoxious people. 
you know? So you set up the dialogue. You set up the terms of the engagement. And you decide what you want to know. And I'll give you a clue. What I love to do is ask men about their work. Okay? I ask them about their job. I ask them what they love about their job. I ask them what they didn't like about their last job. I ask them about their boss. I ask them about the unique skills their work takes. I ask them about their coworkers. I ask them about the unique tools of their trade. And every single conversation with a man about his work has the wonderful uh, benefit of him forgetting himself. And you wouldn't believe how beautiful men are who normally are a pain to be around the minute you get them talking about their work. Now, many of us have tricks like that that we follow. Why do we follow them? Because we do want to love each other, don't we? But it's hard work. So we have a habit of having women work in our office who are habitual and compulsive apologizers. Have you ever known women like this that they're always telling you that they just did something that you should not be pleased with them about? Now, I'm going to plead innocence about that being something that they feel with me. I'm not going to allow you to tell me that I must elicit that from them. (laughs) But you know what? There are lots of women who never stop apologizing. Have you ever noticed this? Anybody with me or am I alone? Okay. You know how to handle such women? You make a rule in your relationship with them that they may never say that they're sorry. And immediately after that, they're interesting and beautiful. As long as they don't ever say they're sorry. What's going on when somebody always says they're sorry? I don't want to talk about it because it's very sad. It's like a dog that has submission syndrome. Can you love people who have never been encouraged in their life? Can you forget about yourself and spend your life encouraging other believers who are weak and depressed? Can you find beauty in them and be sincere in describing that beauty to them? Or do you have to spend your life Signaling your disapproval. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Oh, oh, that's such a pathetic life. I mean, there are a lot of things to disapprove over, and I think God probably knows them better than you do. And somehow he loves us. Right? All right, have I gone on long enough? I think I have. Listen, don't cultivate anonymity in this church. That's a fake church. Cultivate intimacy. And in the intimacy, the love 
No hypocrisy, okay? One last thing I'll give you, but you don't have to pay me for this one, all right? When I first came to Bloomington, I didn't like Asians. They intimidated me. They would come in my office and ask me questions and write down every word I said, you know. And I'm like, are you serious? You're writing down my responses to your question? They just wrote down, are you serious? You're writing down the answers to everything I'd say, you know. But then I fell in love with Asians, so I had to have somebody I disliked because everybody has to be a racist, right? So I decided the people I didn't like were Indians, but this, this guy, right? And I'm working on it, you know. But then, if I'm honest, the real, really the people I don't like are Scandinavians. And do you know why I don't like Scandinavians? I don't like Scandinavians because, have you noticed that Scandinavians make a principle out of never expressing their affection even to their dog? Have you noticed this about Scandinavians? They are incapable of being affectionate. Have you noticed this? Do you know any Scandinavians? Are you a Scandinavian? Yeah, that's what I thought. So Eric's copy, you're, you're a Scandinavian? Well, uh, yeah, I found that out yesterday. I didn't know that, yeah. Now listen. Remember I told you to try to find the good things in people that you don't like, Right? What is good in Scandinavian men that won't ever say they love them, their son? They will not tell their son they love him. Even when they die, they don't do it. I know this. What is good about that? Well, you have to, you have to go inside them and love them to find out. Do you know what is often true? Now, it is true they grow up in a cold part of the world, and that seems to have removed some fundamental principles of humanity from them. You know, they're way up north, right? But you know something? Scandinavian men, I'm convinced that they don't ever want to be hypocrites in what they say, and that's why they don't talk a lot. And so they're not going to tell anybody they love them because they're afraid that they'll be a hypocrite. And furthermore, what they'll tell you about their son, if you ever are stupid enough to ask them to please tell their son they love him, which I have been stupid enough to try to do, what they'll say to you is, well, he knows I love him. In other words, I'm not going to tell him because there's no excuse for my son not knowing I love him. Okay. He doesn't want to be a hypocrite. He does not want to be caught saying something for show. Are you with me? Are you with me? Words are cheap, and he will not partake of cheap words. Are we all together on this? And that is wrong. That is sinful. And the reason it's sinful is that there's a saying that's true. And the saying is that hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. 
And the Scandinavian man is so intent on never being able to be accused of being a hypocrite that he doesn't even desire virtue. He won't even pay lip service to virtue. So if you, in the way you speak, avoid ever saying you love somebody, you are worse than a hypocrite. You are worse because you will not even aspire to the principal virtue that is given the name of God. God is love. And you say, yeah, but it's so cheap to say it. I say, oh, no, it isn't. Because once you say it, then you have to make sure that you're not a hypocrite in what you just said. Do you understand me? If you are someone who is stingy with your words about love, I condemn you. Because when we begin to speak, we notice this principle of the universe that God has ordained. And that is when God said what? Let there be light. There was light. And an awful lot of the love that we give to others comes after we say, I love you. (laughs) I mean, I get paid to say that. And it's so stupid. Because any idiot knows it. And you say, oh, no, 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 people don't know that. That's very deep. I say, thank you very much. But have you ever sat through a wedding ceremony? Do you really think that when they vow to love one another until death, they're doing that because they're sure they'll never be hypocrites? Do you think that you've ever sat in a wedding where the vows were safe? I wonder how they ever get Scandinavians to marry. You know, how do they get them to repeat the vows? I mean, they're so out there, you know? Cling only to thee so long as we both shall live. You talk about, you talk about exaggeration and hyperbolic statements. So the final thing I'm saying to you is, listen, we all have reasons why we're cold fish. I have no love for cold fish. None. I just don't. I want a man to fail trying. And so you tell me you love me. If you you really dislike me, you just tell me you love me and then see what changes in your heart. Okay? Let's come to the Lord's table.